intrigued recently over the subject of revival. Uh, revival both in biblical times and throughout Christian history. And I am completely convinced that only a great, far-reaching revival is going to save our nation from moral and political destruction. Now, I am in favor of Christians getting involved in politics. And I do think the church should take a stand on political issues that have moral ramifications. But the answer to our nation's problems is not in a political agenda. To put it more specifically, you cannot legislate righteousness. The answer to our country's problem is not in the election of one person over another for public office, even though I do have my opinions. It isn't the dominance of one political party over the other, because our root problem is not a political problem. It is a spiritual issue. And only a spiritual revival can turn the moral tide of our country. So what do I mean when I speak of revival? Well, I'm not talking about a week-long series of services that we have in a local church where we call in a traveling, traveling evangelist to preach. No, the term revival refers to a special movement of God in which His church is dramatically refocused and revitalized with ensuing conviction and conversion among sinners. Scholars tell us that there are 16 different revivals described for us in the Bible. And the greatest book in the Bible on the subject of revival is 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. This book gives us the biblical formula for revival, and then it describes five different revivals that occurred under five different kings. The formula for revival is found in the words spoken by our Lord on the occasion of the dedication of King Solomon's temple. In the first part of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon and all of Israel dedicated this imposing edifice to the Lord. And then in the last half of that chapter, God speaks to his people. And here's what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. This is the formula for revival in our church, our lives, our family, and our nation today. God said this, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God help us. That's what we need to pray. That's what we need to do if we want God's blessing and His revival in our land today. Then the rest of 2 Chronicles illustrates this for us by describing a series of five different revivals that swept across the nation of Judah. Of course, I don't have time this morning to talk about all five of those revivals, but I would like to briefly glance at the fifth revival that occurred under King Josiah. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35. Because of the time factor, we're going to look mostly at chapter 34 today. 
The story begins in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and we notice the first characteristic of biblical revivals, and that is this. Biblical revivals come just in the nick of time. 2 Chronicles 34.1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Wow, that's a pretty young king, isn't it? Eight years, how would you like to be ruled by an eight-year-old? Well, you may not know it, but some of you are. Yeah. yeah. Why so young? Well, because his father and grandfather were among the most wicked men in all of the Bible. And his father was so evil that his own servants conspired to kill him when little Josiah was only eight years old. I'm going to have to go back to chapter 33 and, and read to you how wicked Josiah's grandfather and father really were for you to believe it. Here we are in 2 Chronicles 33 verse 1. Manasseh, that is Josiah's granddaddy. He was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He raised up altars for the bells. He made wooden images and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and he served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his sons to pass through the fire of the valley of the sons of Himmon, which And he practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft and sorcery and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke God to anger. He was one evil man. The last part of the chapter says that his son, Josiah's father, continued in the same immoral and lamentable fashion for the two short years of his own reign. Among the greatest evils of these two godless men were the practice of child sacrifice in the fires of the valley of Hinnom. They would take children, their own children, and sacrifice these children as burnt offerings to false gods. Now you tell me, how horrible is that? That's reproachable. Get, I can't imagine, can you, taking our babies and burning them in a sacrifice to a false god. But you know what, church? Our world and our nation are just about in the same shape today. And we've been sacrificing our children in the fires of our own pleasures for years. 2,899 abortions are performed every single day in the United States. One every 30 seconds. A horrendous 58 million abortions taking place in the United States since it came, became legal in 1973. 
churches aren't doing much better. Did you know churches in America today are ordaining, practicing homosexuals and lesbians to be their ministers and their bishops? In many churches in America this morning, the Bible is not being preached as the inspired, inerrant Word of God. We have no idea how to count them, but there are countless millions of Americans who are caught up in internet pornography today. Our entertainment industry is dragging our culture into a pit of moral destruction. And, and like dumb animals, we're following along, falling into the pit ourselves. There is a growing interest in the occult, witchcraft, and demonism. Church, if there were ever a time when a nation needed revival, our nation needs it today. Our nation needs it today. And you might think, well, you know, can it get much worse? Yes, it can. It is imperative that we, the church, the believers, not just sit back and gripe and complain about how wicked things are, have gotten and how bad things are. It's time for us to rise up on our knees and pray for revival. The second characteristic of biblical revival is this. Revival often begins in the heart of a single individual. And quite often that individual is a young person. Let's go back to chapter 34 verses 1 and 2. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his ancestor, his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And church, I can't tell you how amazingly and absolutely remarkable this is. This little boy's father had been one of the most evil men in Judah's history. His grandfather had been a horribly wicked king. All of the royal court was corrupt. And here he is, eight years old, surrounded by wicked advisors, and yet God gave him an upright heart. Isn't that amazing? Even as a little boy, as a child, he was seeking God. Well, hallelujah. Let's read on, verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young... He began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the, the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. He was only 16 years old as he began seeking after God. You know, that, that brings up an interesting fact that the great revivals in history have been started by teenagers. Did you know that? Some of the greatest revivals our world has ever seen have, have been started by young people. When God gets a hold of a group of teenagers, He can use them to change the world. He really can. About a hundred years ago, there was a college student in Wells by the name of Evan Roberts. He was slightly older. He was 26 years old but he was still a student at the British Bible College. He, he developed a, a burden for revival in his heart, and he gained permission to leave college and return to his home village to preach his very first sermon. 
On that Sunday, there was a whopping 17 people present. And he preached for the very first time. Evan Roberts' sermon that day had four points, and here they are. Number one, confess any known sin to God and put away any wrong done to others. In other words, get your heart right with God and get right with other people. Number two, put away any doubtful habit. You know what a doubtful habit is, don't you? <laughs> There's any question of whether or not you ought to be doing this certain thing. Evan Roberts says, put it away, don't do it. Stop doing it. Number three, obey the Holy Spirit promptly. That means immediately. <laughs> and then number four, confess faith in Christ openly. That is, be a public witness for the Lord. Confess the fact that you're a Christian. Did you know that day a revival broke out and within three months a hundred thousand people had been saved and joined the churches in Wales. It spread around the globe and the years of 1905 and 1906 became revival years in our world. In fact, 1905 represents the last worldwide revival that this earth has ever seen or experienced. And almost all people trace it back to one young man, a Bible college student named Evan Roberts. But the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro throughout the earth. He is seeking someone whose heart is loyal towards him. In other words, God is looking for somebody. God is looking today. He's looking down at Kavanaugh Church. He can see right through our ceiling. He's looking into your heart. He's looking for someone. Maybe it's a teenager who is going to stand in the gap and build up a hedge against the land. God's looking for an intercessor. And revival usually begins in the heart of one individual whose heart is fully devoted to the Lord God. Will it be you? Number three, revival involves pulling down idols. Listen as I read verses 3 through 7. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twentieth, the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. They broke down the altars of the bells in his presence and the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Nephtali, and all around with axes. And when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images and beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he went back home to Jerusalem. <laughs> cool! Here's this young man, Josiah, waging a one-man wrecking war against idolatry in his kingdom. 
And he didn't tell other people to do it. He took the axe in his own hand. Man, I love it. <laughs> I love it. But you know what? That, that, that begs me to just stop and reflect on us. Because chances are some of us in this room have idols in our kingdom. We have an idol in our own life or in our home. An idol is anything that comes between and before the Lord Jesus Christ and our heart. It's an idol. I don't care if it's a person or a thing or a possession or a hobby. If you are putting anything or anyone before the Lord Jesus Christ, it has become an idol in your life. And you're worshiping that thing or that person instead of Christ. Church revival begins when we make up our minds that we are going to wage a one-man war against the idols that are robbing us of our affection towards the Lord. And we do away with them. We cut them down. We burn them. I told the first service people that, you know what, sometimes we let, we let other people become idols in our life. We let other people come before the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are so in love with your kids that you have allowed your children to become your idol. And you love your kids or your grandkids more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that we hate our kids. It's that our kids can't be number one. The Lord has to be number one. And parents, listen to me. If you really love your kids, you're going to make God first place in your life. The way he made that's the order of things. He has to be first. And if you really love your kids, you're going to see that. That you need to love God first. Then, if you're married, your spouse comes second. And then your kids. Well, Lance, they got to be at least third on the list, right? You know what? I could I could harp, I could name idol after idol after idol. Wow. The list, it could be, a, it could be a, I'm talking guy stuff now because I don't know girl stuff, all right? You better be glad I don't know girl stuff, okay? I mean, I'm just talking guy stuff. It could be a motorcycle. It could be a set of golf clubs. It could be a, a 38 Ruger with a shilling barrel on it and stag grips with a shotgun boogie short stroke kit in it. Only a couple of you guys in this room know what I'm talking about, but it's the kind of pistols I use in cowboy shooting. It could be anything that we put before God. Let me tell you, before revival can come, we have got to cut these idols out of our life, folks. God has to be first place. First place or no place. Then something startling happened in this story of Second Chronicles. Revival begins when we make up our minds that we're going to wage war on the idols that are robbing us of our affection towards the Lord. And then notice what happens. Number four, revival releases renewed resources. Let me put it another way without all those R's in it. The people started tithing. They started supporting the work of God financially. And the money that they gave was used to repair and renovate the temple, which had become dilapidated and broken down. I'm going to read on in the story beginning in verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, 
Masiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they, then they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, who kept the doors, had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put in the hand of the foreman who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house of the Lord. So here's the, here's the deal. Now that the Israelites had put away their idols and torn down their false gods, they had more money for the Lord's work. They had been spending and wasting all of their money on all kinds of things that they had been putting ahead of God. But now these things had been cast out of their lives. The Lord was first place again. All the idols were gone. And the resources that were needed for God's house were now available. Again, that's the way God set it up to be. American Christians are the wealthiest generation of believers to ever live on the face of the earth. Right now, you are the wealthiest believers to have ever lived on planet earth. We have more money and more resources than any who have preceded us. God has given us those resources to enable us to finance his evangelistic vision here at the end of world history. God has not blessed you the way he has blessed you for you to waste your money on stuff that just brings pleasure to your life. As a Christian, God has blessed you to use those resources to reach people for Christ and his church. And I think that one of the things God is going to judge the American church for is our failure to use the wealth he has given us to support his work at home and abroad. According to the Barna Research Group, only 6% of born-again Christians in America tithe. Not that all Christians are only tithing 6% instead of 10%. That's not what I said. They have discovered that only 6% of all Christians are tithing. In 2000, the number was 12%. Since then, it has gone down to 6%. That's pathetic. That's horrible. You know, you, you might be sitting there right now trying to, getting real mad at me, number one, but also trying to rationalize your not giving by saying, you know what, I just can't afford to give. I can't afford to give 10%. The money is not there to give 10%. Well, you know what? You, you're looking at it wrong. Your perspective is totally wrong. The reason you don't have 10% is because you've used 100% to spend on things that God didn't tell you to spend it on. And if you would begin each month by giving God that 10% off the top, I guarantee you, I can guarantee you, there will be enough left at the end of the month. God promises that. And when revival comes and we get rid of, you know, maybe the problem is there's too many idols in our life. We're wasting our money on too much stuff that really doesn't matter. And when we get rid of those idols, there it is. We have the resources available to do the work of God. Well, in 
the story of Josiah revival came just in the nick of time. It, it began in the heart of one man who led his nation in tearing down the idols and false gods that had turned their hearts from the Lord. And as that happened, the resources were unleashed for the building up of the work of God. And then what happened? Well, number five, revival unleashes the power of the Word of God. As the temple of God was being renovated and restored, a profound and far-reaching discovery was made. Look at verse 14. Now, when they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given to Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king. This is amazing. The Bible, the word of God had been hidden. It had been lost. The people had never heard it read. And they found the word of God. And the rediscovery of the book of the law sparked an awakening and a revival that changed not only the course of a nation, but the story of history. Now, I've been reading a lot of verses, but, but let me read verse 29 through 33 for you. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and with all of his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. So there's all the people, the king is standing, he reads the word of God for the first time in a public setting, and he made a covenant before the people. I, the king, I am going to follow the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what he do? He made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to take a stand. He challenged them, you do the same thing. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. A side note to that that is pretty significant to me. If we study chronology carefully, we realize that it was during this revival that a young man's heart was stirred for God. His name was Daniel. Remember him? Ended up in a lion's den. He came out of this revival. He was the product of the revival times of Josiah. And so were his compatriots, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Revival is God's way of launching a new generation of workers into the world and his kingdom. It's his way of flinging out with revival force a new era of dedicated servants. Oh Lord, we need revival. 
One man said that during a time of revival, the church can accomplish just in a few weeks or a few months the work that otherwise would take years and years and years. It says here that the people of Jerusalem and Benjamin took a stand that day. I like that. They took a stand. And it was a stand they maintained all the rest of their days. Got me to wondering. I wonder if someone here at Kavanaugh Church would take a stand for Jesus Christ today. I wonder if someone here would be willing to tear down some idols and cast out some false gods in their own heart and family. I wonder if someone here wants to be willing to be that man or that woman or that teenager who brings revival, if God so wills, to a brand new generation. Well, church, it's time we begin praying for revival. We need a personal revival. As good as this church is, this church needs revival. Our nation needs revival. We need a worldwide revival of biblical proportions. So I was wondering if there's somebody here who would let all that begin in their heart today. Maybe you're here and you need to come to the Lord for salvation. If so, I invite you to come to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you need to come confessing the sin in your own life. Maybe you need to come dedicating yourself to be a carrier and a conveyor of God's revival. Maybe God is urging you to come and pray for your family or your church. And to be a vital part of it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this awesome story of this remarkable young man who was willing to be used by you. Lord, I wonder if we have some other Josiahs in this room today.